When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. This is the Get Booked Podcast, a weekly show for personalized reading recommendations. This is episode 319, and we are recording on February 22nd. I'm Amanda Nelson, and I'm here with Jen Northington, and we are coming to you from Book Riot. That is the end of my introduction. (laughs) (laughs) I got nothing this morning. (laughs) Same. It is, like, really cloudy and gross here, and I'm, I don't, that's it. That's, that's the end of my statement. It's gross. It's gross. I never think that I have like any kind of seasonal effective anything until the end of February when I'm like, wow, I just want to crawl into a hole. Yeah, I know a lot of people hate February the most. I personally love it because it's my birthday month, but like, oh, I know, I understand the hate for February. Oh, yeah, it's my least favorite month. April, yeah. fe- February is the coolest month. Okay, yeah. so how the show works. As I said, this is a show for personalized reading recommendations. So if you have a reading recommendation request, we would like to hear it. You can email it to us at getbookedatbookriot.com or drop it in the form in the show notes on the site. These can be anything. These can be for you, your book club, if you're looking for a gift, whatever floats your boat. We are happy to answer those questions. We do have a few pieces of feedback here um, before we get to our first question. So Stephanie says, uh, I have some feedback for other Stephanie who is looking for a Daisy Jones and the Six Read Alike featuring female musicians. I recommend The Air You Breathe by Francis de Pontes Pebbles. It starts in Brazil in the 1920s and follows two childhood girlfriends and their friendship and music careers as they become involved in the samba scene. Mm. That sounds fun. Um, Ada says, this recommendation is for the person who wanted to read a book from every country. I recommend the novella The Blind Owl by Sadeg Hadiat from Iran. But please check the trigger warnings. The story is about a man's descriptive descent into madness. Hey, okay. And our last one is from Kelly, who has feedback for the reader who wanted sweet and heartfelt queer magical stories. Kelly recommends The Watchmaker of Filigree Street by Natasha Pulley. It is about uh, Daniel Steepleton, who lives as a clerk in Victorian London when he unexpectedly inherits a mysterious golden pocket watch, which offers him protection, leading him to try and uncover the secrets of it and also its maker. Uh, has a night circus vibe, trigger warnings for period appropriate racism and classism. All right, I'm going to read our first question. We'll hear from our first sponsor. Away we will go. Question runs from Jessica, who says, I just finished Only Murders in the Building. While I anxiously wait for season two, I'm hoping you can recommend some books that will scratch that itch. Sponsor time. Today's episode is brought to you by Avid Reader Press. So this next book is a really fun sounding mashup of different genres. There's a little time travel, a little romance, a little spy thriller action going on. So in the near future, a civil servant is offered the salary of her dreams and is shortly afterward told what project she'll be working on. A recently established government ministry is gathering quote unquote expats from across history to establish whether time travel is feasible for the body, but also for the fabric of space time. This is an exquisitely original and feverishly fun fusion of genres and ideas. 
The Ministry of Time by Colleen Bradley asks, what does it mean to defy history when history is living in your house? Colleen Bradley's answer is a blazing, unforgettable testament to what we owe each other in a changing world. It kind of gives Outlander meets Cloud Atlas or If the Time Traveler's Rife was written by Sally Rooney or Colson Whitehead. Make sure to check out The Ministry of Time by Colleen Bradley. And thanks again to Avid Reader Press for sponsoring this episode. Today's episode is brought to you by Flatiron Books, publisher of 888 Love and the Divine Burden of Numbers by Abraham Chang. So this is an interesting love story. It's great for fans of Tomorrow and Tomorrow and Tomorrow and High Fidelity. It's set in the mid-90s at NYU. And it follows young Wang, who has gotten the advice of love through Chinese numerology from his uncle. So he believes that he will have seven great loves in his life. And then he meets Irena in 95 And she's like the best. She's brilliant, charismatic, quick-witted, funny. They fall in love. But the thing is, she's number six. So if he is to have seven great loves, does that mean his time with Arena is going to come to an end? So this is a love letter to Western pop culture, Eastern traditions, and being a first-generation New Yorker. Make sure to check it out. And thanks again to Flatiron Books, publisher of 888 Love and the Divine Burden of Numbers by Abraham Chang for sponsoring this episode. All right, Jen, only murders in the building. Yeah, I confess I didn't finish. It wasn't my jam. I get it. I get it. It just wasn't for me. But I think I watched enough to know the vibe you're looking for. So I'm recommending An Elderly Lady is Up to No Good by Helen Turston, translated by Marlene Delargy. And I, the reason I'm picking this is because it is literally about like a building where everybody is really attached to living in it and like always scheming about which apartment they have, which feels very appropriate for Only Murders vibes. Uh, The main character, Maud, though, instead of being like, you know, a 20-something Selena Gomez, is an 80-plus-year-old Swedish woman who does not really have qualms about removing people when they get in her way, let us say. So, yeah, this is basically, like, it's sort of a short story collection of her deciding that people are not behaving appropriately and what she's going to do about it. And she is up to no good. And it's it's got this, like, dark sense of humor, uh, which obviously Only Murders has. And while it is not, you know, meta in the way that Only Murders is, I think it's still going to give you those, like, murdery vibes. And it's just a really fun read. So, again, that is An Elderly Lady is Up to No Good by Helen Turston, translated by Marlene Delargy. Um, I picked the Thursday Murder Club, which is a series. It's by Richard Osman, and it's about four septuagenarians who live in like a really kind of upscale retirement village. They are very unexpected friends, led by a woman named Elizabeth, who has in book one a fairly shady background. You don't really understand where uh, her money comes from or where her connections, of which she seems to have an infinite number, come from. Um, and then there is Joyce, who's a retired nurse, Ibrahim, who's a retired psychi- psychiatrist or psychologist, I don't remember which, and then Ron, who is a very well-known union guy. Um, and they meet up every Thursday to solve cold cases. Uh, the files of which Elizabeth provides 
and she gets them from um, question mark. It's kind of unknown <laughs> about where they come from. Um, and so when the book opens, this is what's happening. They've been meeting. The book is told from the perspective of Joyce, who is the newest member of the Thursday Murder Club, and they're sol- they're solving these cold cases. But then a body of a local developer is found. There's a mysterious photograph left next to the body. There's a police officer who comes to the retirement village to give them like a like a security talk, um, but she turns out to be like there for reasons that you know she gets into in the book but she's very bored and is not liking her job anymore and the members of the thursday murder club decide she's going to help them solve this case like she'll be the in into the police force um so that they can they can work like a real live case and so it is very only murders in the building because like this group has no experience in investigating well so the, so you think at the beginning but you'll find out more uh investigating murders they have no business sticking their nose in but then secrets uh you know are revealed throughout the course of the series as you find out more about these folks and their connections and their you know pasts and whatnot so that's the thursday murder club by richard osman All right. Our next question is from Jenny, who says, I frequently listen to the podcast on my commute. After an overnight shift this week, I was commuting home and listening while driving through Amish country. I was behind a carriage once again, wondering (laughs) what the etiquette is. Should I pass? Should I just drive slowly behind? What are their lives like? When it dawned on me that I should write and ask you for a recommendation for a good read that takes place in the Amish community, I'd be okay with any genre as long as it is own voices, but fiction preferred. So Amanda, you have some notes about this. I do. (laughs) Um, I went down a weird, for me, deep dive into Amish fiction um, when... Book Riot was new because it was I was working as a bookseller at the time and it was very pop like weirdly popular and I didn't mm-hmm. understand what's happening so I read a whole bunch of them and the thing that I have to tell you is that Amish own voices fiction is not a thing the Amish don't write novels some of the more conservative sects aren't allowed to write at all so you're not going to find that that does not exist you're not going to get Amish nonfiction either unless they've left the community because they don't create things they don't publish like they don't work with publishing houses or big corporations like this is an insulated cult-like community they don't want you to talk about them and their their stuff so like the thing that you're asking for it doesn't doesn't really exist but we can get you close so um my recommendation is plain secrets by joe mccall who uh has lived in ohio for like a floppity jillion years the book came out in 2007 and he's friends with a family an amish family in ashland county um that is a member of the uh, most conservative Amish community in the country. So they don't have Rumspringa. Like, they do not allow their children to go on Rumspringa. They don't have lights on their buggies. They're not allowed to have upholstered furniture. Like, the rules of what you think of when you think of quote-unquote normal Amish folk, multiply those by, like, 10, and then you get this Amish community. So the author is not Amish. He befriended an Amish family and is close to them over, this, over like, more than a decade and has their permission to write about his observations of their life. So you're going to get that kind of as inside of a look as you can get mm. <laughs> into the Amish community uh, because they don't want you to have any more of an inside look. And a thing I appreciate about this book is that it's not completely without criticism. Like, he cares about this family and he cares about these people, but he also thinks it's not okay that women aren't allowed to do anything. (laughs) And he Mm. also thinks it's not okay that, like, they're not allowed to have music or art or any kind of creative pursuit at all. Their education ends at eighth grade. Like, he has has issues with a lot of the way they run their lives, um, but he also, like, wants to kind of mind his own business. <laughs> so it's like it's a, he's he's threading a really it's a hard needle to thread, right? That 
we we want people to have religious liberty, but also this is a community that actively oppresses women and LGBTQ members uh, and or just like shuns them completely. So like it's got issues and he will talk about those. But there's also a lot of that like just day in, day out, literal barn raising. Here's how they run their cattle farms kind of mm. stuff, just like the details that kind of curious people want to know. So that's Plain Secrets by Joe McCall. Can you explain to me? Mm. Why every book about the Amish starts with plain? Is that why is that a thing, Amanda? They call themselves the plain folk. Ah, okay, that yeah. explains like P L A I N, not P L A I N. Yeah, P L A I N. I was like every book that I because I had to go to you know rabbit holes and other people for help with this one. Every book was called plain something. Yeah, I was like, what is that? So my pick for you comes by way of contributor Margaret who. Thought this book was really good, and when I poked around, it sadly was not available from my library, so I couldn't preview it for you. But it looks really, and I do want to read it. I have it on a hold list. And it is fiction. It's When the English Fall by David Williams. A thing I learned in the course of answering this question is that the Amish refer to literally everyone else as the English, apparently, <laughs> which is super interesting. I love that so much. Right? <laughs> I mean, they're sort of not wrong in it's a way. Like, it's very like, you Yankees. Like, what? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Exactly, exactly. So this is a sort of uh, mid-catastrophe novel. A stolar storm collapses modern civilization, and the main characters of this book are an Amish family in Pennsylvania who, like, didn't have electricity to begin with, right? So they are trying to, like... They're just basically doing the things they were going to do anyway, but the world has sort of fallen apart around them. And now how do you be like a safe, nonviolent community that is upholding your religious values while the people around you are like freaking out and potentially going to come steal your resources or, you know, whatever? Who knows? Uh, And it's written through uh, diary entries. The Amish farmer named Jacob is the one who is telling you this story. And by all accounts, it's like a super sort of one of those quietly tense uh, catastrophe novels, which is a thing that I love, that tension, but also like just sort of the everyday mundanity is of it. I, I love that combination of things. And the author, David Williams, is a uh, minister of some den- I can't remember the denomination, but he studied the Amish as part of his like seminary work. So he has some familiarity with the culture. He obviously has sympathy with the religious aspects of the Amish. And um, this is meant to be like a thoughtful thought exercise, thoughtful thought exercise uh, about, yeah, like what would that look like? Uh, so again, that's When the English Fall by David Williams. All right. Our next question is from Siobhan, who says, I read The Midnight Bargain by C.L. Polk as an arc last summer and have not been able to stop talking about it since. Do you have any comp? Um, quick note that an arc is an advanced review copy. So that's what. OK, um, we do. As a matter of fact, uh, <laughs> I'm recommending The Bone Witch by Rin Chupeco, but also like go read Witchmark. <laughs> yes. So C.L. Polk writes a lot of fa- his- like historical fantasy novels that are about a person with a magical ability that they don't want or that they like should not have or that is going to get them into trouble or something. And the Midnight Bargain is very much about that. And so is Witchmark. So, and so is the Bone Witch, which is why I picked it. So the Bone Witch is a YA fantasy trilogy about a girl named Tia who, um, accidentally resurrects her dead brother. <laughs> Whoops, accidental resurrection. He comes home. Her brother's name is Fox. He comes home from like war dead. Uh, and at the funeral, she, 
accidentally brings him back to life. And on the surface, this shouldn't be, you know, that shocking or that terrible because witches are very common in this universe. Her sisters are witches of like metal fabricator kind of stuff or like, um, you know, the weather or things like that. Kind of like the Grisha verse. But the ability to bring people back from the dead, uh, you know, necromancy is a very feared and like, oh, be any other kind of witch except that one sort of a thing in this world. So when it's found out that she can do this thing, she's both like suddenly very feared by her family, ostracized by her friends. It's a whole thing. Um, and she takes up with a another necromancer who's like, you know, older and to mentor her to help her kind of get control of this ability. Um, while that is happening, her country is at war with these like kind of demonic hell beasts. It's very beasts of uh, Buffy the Vampire Slayer, like coming out of the hell mouth kind of a thing. And they they are killed. When they get killed, they they come back to life. And so the, the, the country where she lives needs necromancers to battle these undead kind of monsters. So she needs to train to be able to do that. But of course, there is more to that kind of political violence than she is first told. Um, there's also a romantic element, as, as there tends to be in C.L. Polk's work. So you get a lot of that kind of like, there's fantasy, there's romance, there's secrets, there's forbidden magic all rolled into this one trilogy. So that's The Bone Witch by Rin Chupeco. Yeah, everything Amanda said, but also I found myself thinking about how sort of even more specifically in The Midnight Bargain, Polk is like, it's a sort of Regency-y era that like is, you know, tweaked to have magic in it, but also like more nuance, there's more diversity, like more inclusivity, all of those things than you would normally get in those kinds of books. And I was thinking, I so I, I thought about the Dead Gin universe by P. Jelly Clark, which is set in sort of an alternate history where magic has like been discovered, as it were, like unleashed into the world by this one person. And right at the time in the like late 1700s, early 1800s, when colonialism was like starting to really become a thing for a lot of, especially in African countries. And so Egypt has been able to rid itself of British rule, like way ahead of schedule, awesome, and through through magic. And and now you have this, you know, policewoman sort of, she like works on the supernatural squad, uh, solving crimes in the 1900s, early 1900s. And Fatma is like also a singular person. She is proud to of her own heritage, but she also really loves Western suits. So she's extremely dapper and she is gay, a lesbian and or queer at the very least. And she like is a singular woman in a very all male police force still because it's still the 1900s and like women's suffrage is not quite a whole full fledged thing yet. And so you have this playing with historical markers and like what can we swap out what what would be different what would be the same like all of those sort of juicy world building details that I feel like Polk does so well Clark also does really well and these characters like you're gonna love them in the same way that you love Polk's characters and I think it's just I think it's a great comp and they should be side by side on your shelves um, the first novella in the series is a dead gin in Cairo um, these are more murdery well, actually, now that I say that, I don't actually know that they are more murdery than Polk's. <laughs> I mean, certainly Midnight Bargain is, <clears throat> excuse me, one of the mur least murdery ones. But anyway, whatever. The A Dead Gin in Cairo is the first one. They are mysteries as well as just really amazing, fun fantasy novels. Um, and that's by P. Jelly Clark. 
Okay, our next question is from Lisa, who says, I'm in a reading slump, who isn't these days, and kind of depressed. I think I may have found a way out by reading Gothics. The last thing I read was The Unsuitable by Polig. But I want something light to mix in, something that will make me laugh out loud. I tried Furiously Happy because I loved Let's Pretend This Never Happened, but I'm not feeling Jenny Lawson this time around. I like speculative fiction, but lately I'm more into books that read like specfic but aren't quite specfic, or that are fiction plus folklore, history, social sciences, books that give you the did you knows and horror. But I'll give anything a try if you think it will make me laugh. Amanda, what you got? I picked the most ridiculous thing I've ever read. It's the most <laughs> ridiculous. It's hilarious. It's called The Wisteria Society of Lady Scoundrels. It is by India Holton, who is a New Zealand author. Um, it's the first book in the Dangerous Damsels series. And it's just nonsense. So the main character's name is Cecilia Basing White. It's like, all right, it's like if Bridgerton had space pirates and like floating <laughs> houses. No, they're not space pirates. That's not, they're just regular pirates who float all, like the houses move. There's magic. It's just, it's very um, slap happy, like kind of physical comedy. So Cecilia is a very, when you meet her, she's just a very sweet kind of Bridgerton-esque. I don't know how to put it. Um, (laughs) Victorian lady. Like she just is very, you know, demure and all of that. You find out pretty quickly that she's actually like a thief and a member of the Wisteria Society, which is a crime sorority. And she's being raised by her aunt to like assassinate annoying people and steal things. And, and, and like everybody has this kind of magical ability to make their houses fly. It's so strange. Um, the other main character's name is Ned. He is a, an assassin who is very smitten with Cecilia, except the problem is he's been hired by uh, a pirate named Captain Morva to kill her because the captain doesn't like that there are all of these impertinent women running around stealing things, even though <laughs> he is an impertinent man running around stealing things. So he hires this assassin to like eliminate all of the Wisteria society. And of course, Cecilia is just very offended you get the idea right like this is just mm. a nonsense it's a it's a jane austenian comedy of errors except everyone's trying to kill everyone else instead of just <laughs> say something cutting they are also saying something <laughs> cutting like they're saying the cutting thing while trying to literally cut you in their flying houses it's nonsense but it is so great and if you are in a place where you just cannot handle reading something like heavy or serious or whatever uh this is exactly what what you should pick up so it's kind of jasper fordish you know like that Mm. just kind of goofy right up a bookish person's alley kind of humor so that's the wisteria society of lady scoundrels by india holton well, I'm going to have to read that. Now. <laughs> it's so good. What a jerk you are, Amanda. I'm sorry. Uh, okay. So I I thought this was a really interesting, like, books that read like specfic but aren't quite specfic because I immediately felt like I knew what you were talking about. And so my pick is actually based on a did you know. Did you know mm-hmm. that at one point, the U.S., like, early on, I want to say, like, the 1800s, was considering, like, breeding hippos for reasons like for cattle (laughs) sure like cows yeah like why not like why wouldn't you do that so many reasons why not so many reasons why not it turns out they decided not to but sarah gailey decided to write uh, a duology of novellas about what if they had done it and they are i always want to call them speculative fiction but they're really not like it's oh excuse me it was the 1900s um but anyway they're really not they're like there's no magic it's just this weird alternate version of the u.s 
where hippos have been imported to be an alternative meat source, except for that, like, hippos are feral and savage. Like, a cow can, like, run you over, but it's probably not going to bite your arm off or, like, literally drag you underwater to die, both of which hippos can do. So, (laughs) so... This is about the government realizing that its plan has gone wrong and trying to hire people to fix it. And it's like a crew of misfits uh, led by Winslow Houndstooth, what an amazing name, um, who has a plan for dealing with the feral hippos. It's actually a really bad plan. It's also a really hilarious plan. And like, I just, this this series is a delight. It is so fun to read. It's so, like, the characters are fantastic. The plot is bananas. Like, it's just, I, I think it's exactly the kind of escapist fun. It's not really magical, but it's certainly different kind of thing that you're looking to read. Um, so the series is American Hippo. Oh, no, yeah. American Hippo. And the first book is River of Teeth. Just ridiculous. Time for our next sponsor. <laughs> <laughs> Today's episode is brought to you by Bloom Books. Diana Dixon has a busy summer and no time for tall, gorgeous hockey player Shane's shenanigans. Because you know what? If they shenan once, they'll shenan again. So she thinks she knows exactly who he is when he moves into her apartment building. But turns out Shane's sick of hookups and tired of being on the rebound after his long-term girlfriend called it quits. But when his ex comes back into the picture, he needs a plan. And who better to play his new girlfriend than his sassy new neighbor? So a a fake relationship might be perfect for Diana's own ex issues, but Diana is used to living by the rules. Will she learn that when it comes to love, rules are meant to be broken? Make sure to check out The Dixon Rule by L. Kennedy. L. Kennedy is a New York Times and USA Today bestselling author with over a million copies of her books sold. So this is going to be another banger, y'all. Make sure to check it out. And thanks again to Bloom Books for sponsoring this episode. Today's episode is brought to you by Greenleaf Book Group. No summer vacation should be without a great read. And I don't know about you, but I am partial to mysteries and thrillers for my hot month reads. It's hot girl reading summer always over here. And from the award-winning librettist of Legally Blonde, the musical and the screenwriter of Freaky Friday, Heather Hawk, comes the page-turning psychological thriller, The Trouble with Drowning. So when author Eden Hart floats into Tucson's Antigone books and all her dazzling perfection to give a reading, Kat, a struggling writer, can't help but compare herself. Thankfully, Kat's life starts to take on its own Eden-like glow when her literary future takes shape and she falls madly in love with Jacob. As demons from her past begin to surface, Kat's mental health craters and this halcyon dream slips through her fingers. For the fastest paced slow burn you won't be able to put down, be sure to check out The Trouble with Drowning by Heather Hawk on Amazon or your retailer of choice. And thanks again to Greenleaf Book Group for sponsoring this episode. All right. Our next question is from Mary, who says, I recently picked up Soulless by Gail Carriger, fell completely in love, and proceeded to devour the entire Parasol Protectorate series. I would love to read more like it, but I've never gravitated toward the steampunk or paranormal romance genre, and am paralyzed as to where to go next. I prefer for it to be geared towards adults. Any recommendations for a fast-paced, fantasy-adjacent series that is a bit silly and mildly soft? 
Yes, we do have <laughs> recommendations for a fast-paced fantasy series that's a bit silly and mildly saucy. And my pick for you, I'm going to keep going, is the London Steampunk series by Beck McMaster. The first book of, is called Kiss of Steel. I will say that I find most paranormal romance to be a little bit silly. So that this might, your silliness level here might be different than mine. But this is like about an alpha vampire who takes on a nice Victorian lady. So that's just automatically kind of silly. I don't, whatever. Anyway, so the, the main character is on Honoria, Honor with an IA at the end, Honoria Todd, which is a, the greatest name. Mm. And she is grown, a grown human being <laughs> who is caring for her two younger siblings after her father has unexpectedly died. They have no money, so she has fled to the Whitechapel district of London, which is like very seedy and underground. Um, and she doesn't know what to do because they, they were, you know, like... She was, she's a lady, which is kind of code in this book for like, she has no usable skills. So she goes to the leader of the Whitechapel neighborhood, whose name is Blade. He is a, the master of the rookeries. I love these just goofy names that they give like heroes and Victorian set mm. novels. I love them so much. He's the master of the rookery, the rookery being this neighborhood where there are prostitutes. That's what rookery means. And he is very dangerous. He's a vampire and nobody crosses him unless something terrible happens. Of course, he turns out to be like actually quite nice. And she goes to him and, you know, went for help. Like, we're, we have no money. Do you have work? Is there something I can do here? Um, he's like, yeah, there is. And she's like, mm, that's not what I meant. He's like, fair. So they uh, put that off the table. And also there's like a, it's not just a physical thing. It's like a blood thing. Like you could in this universe become a blood, they call it a thrall to a vampire um, where you just like feed them basically. Uh, and then they protect you and they give you, take care of you and all that kind of stuff. She doesn't want to do any of that. Like she wants an, uh, an actual job that makes her feel useful, that helps her provide for her family. So they already have this clash, um, which of course turns into kissing, clashing into kissing, <laughs> clashing with their faces. <laughs> um, but there turns out to be, you know, a, a dark and sinister force in the background that has that's involved in the death of her family um, who like wants her back and wants to defile her and all of this kind of thing. And so um, it turns out to be an enemy she has in common with Blade. So together they go off to take on the upper echelons of London society. It's kind of silly, but it's so much fun. And it is quite saucy. I think it's quite saucy. Um, so if you can suspend your like super taking himself very seriously vampire thing um, <laughs> disbelief for a minute and just like let it happen it's great it's so much fun so that's the london steampunk series by beck mcmaster has there ever been a fictional vampire who does not take themselves super seriously no though? like no, there just is just... like i think it like comes to you with the undeadness is that you Even... have to be like self-obsessed and yes important. yes lestat maybe doesn't i mean the, an interview with the vampire lestat is a foil to right now i can't remember brad pitt's character's name it's not patrick is it Louis. 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 <laughs> yeah. Louis takes himself so seriously. And I think there's actually a line in the movie where Lestat is like, could you stop taking yourself so seriously? <laughs> but I have to murder now. I think, you know, it's an, it's an ethical dilemma. <laughs> yeah, indeed. Indeed. Uh, okay. So my pick, I actually am just stealing this from one of our other askers. I picked The Midnight Bargain by C.L. <laughs> Polk because it's kind of perfect for this question. And it means we can talk more about The Midnight Bargain. So... <laughs> I, the one, the biggest difference 
Between, well, there's two. The big differences between the Midnight Bargain and the Soulless uh, Parasol Protectorate series is that, A, it's not a series, and B, it does not have, like, the creature feature. Like, right, the Parasol Protectorate has, like, werewolves and vampires and things. Um, Midnight Bargain, they're all, like, humans of various, you know, vanillaness or magicalness. So it doesn't have that part. But it is absolutely... Really saucy and fun and messes with this like Regency era world, which is, you know, what Parasol Protectorate does as well. So uh, there's always a young woman who's being forced to marry, right? Like, that's what happens. Uh, Beatrice is our heroine in Midnight Bargain. She, in this, and so in this like re-envisioning of Regency England-ish place. Um, Women have magic, but they have to give it up when they marry. So they like literally have to put on this collar thing that suppresses their magic, which is like not great. So if you want to be a sorceress, you can never get married. And Beatrice is a sorceress. That's all she wants to do. She absolutely does not want to get married. Like she wants to be a full-fledged, you know, full-time magus, which is not super a thing that women are allowed to do. But her family is broke and, like, secretly broke, and so she has to make a good marriage to save them. Classic plot. Mm. But she finds a book, a grimoire, that will, like, teach her to become the sorceress that she wants to be that nobody else will help her do. And then a rival sorceress swoops in and steals it right out of her hands. And so she has to, like, negotiate for this. And, of course, there is, like, a dashing man that she falls for. But, like, she doesn't want to give up her magic. And society is stupid. And also, how are we going (laughs) to flout it? Like, all of those fun shenanigans. And I think it's very much in line with the vibe. So it's not a series, but you should read it anyway. The Midnight Bargain by C.L. Polk. Okay, our next question is from Jordan, who says, oh, speaking of vampires, I forgot that this was coming. I know, and taking yourself very seriously. (laughs) (laughs) I've recently fallen down a rabbit hole of watching The Vampire Diaries, and I'm enjoying the (laughs) dynamic between two of the characters, Klaus and Caroline. Please don't at me. I know it has problematic elements. Basically, I'm wondering if you have recommendations for books that might have a similar dynamic. Powerful, maybe dark dude that is a little obsessed slash in love with slash has feelings for a female character who comes into her own power or is able to match him in some way. I tend to stick to literary fiction or historical slash political nonfiction, but I'm willing to expand into genres. Not really looking for a straight romance novel. I recently read Deathless by Catherine M. Valenti, and that sort of hit the mark, but I'm not stuck on it being fantasy slash fairy tale. Would prefer no vampires, which (laughs) I have to tell you, Jordan, this question was fascinating because, okay, I absolutely know what you're talking about. I have also seen all of the Vampire Diaries. Um, And Klaus and Caroline are a pretty amazing dynamic. All problematic faves, for sure. But you don't want vampires. (laughs) But that's fine. We can do that. Amanda, do you want to go first? Sure. (laughs) Um, So I've not seen the Vampire Diaries. And this question sent me down this amazing YouTube rabbit hole of watching clips of Klaus and Caroline. Because I was like, well, let me, you know, Mm kind of try to get a feel for the vibe. Here and when I tell you that the the world of Klaus and Caroline fan fiction on YouTube <laughs> is is vast, <laughs> it is a vast world, and it was so fun to have no context mm. except I know nothing about the Vampire Diaries except that there are vampires and maybe a diary, and so <laughs> I, I have no idea what this, the the deal is with these two people, but. It was amazing. It was an amazing experience. Okay, all of that said, I picked Iron Widow by Jiran J. Zhao, which comes with a trigger warning for rape. And I picked this 
it, so there are no vampires, first of all, but it is uh, sci-fi-ish or fantasy. Speculative fiction depends on how you define magic. I don't know. Anyway, um, and so it is about uh, an 18-year-old woman named Zetian who lives in this universe um, where the boys always want to, like, pair up with girls to learn how to pilot a chrysalis, which are these giant robot mechs that, you know, you get in there and you pilot them, um, that battle aliens that live on the planet and are, like, invading their country. And so the boys can become super, super famous if they partner with girls and pilot these mechs and have a good battle that ends up being broadcasted on television. So that's all they want to do. The catch is that the girls usually die in this uh, setup because they their energy is, like, absorbed by the boys to pilot these giant mechanical robot weapon things. And this is what happened to Zetian's sister. She was partnered with a boy, a really famous pilot uh, in a battle, and he killed her. And so Zetian has decided she's going to offer herself as a concubine pilot. That's what they call themselves in the book or in this universe. And so and when she gets to, you know, the barracks, essentially, she's going to find the guy and she's going to kill him. Like, I don't care how famous you are. You murdered my sister. I'm going to take out my revenge. Um, but before she gets a chance to do that, a battle happens and they end up in the mech, her and this guy. And so she or in the chrysalis. And so she's, you know, like, well, here it is. I guess I'm going to die now. Except she doesn't die. She kills him. She absorbs all of his energy and becomes what is called an iron widow, which is a terrifying thing in this universe where girls are only useful as like batteries for boys. Suddenly you have a girl who can uh, do the opposite. And that's really, really frightening. So it's kind of like a punishment. They pair her up with this the Klaus, I guess, version of, you know, character in this book, this like very powerful, angry, dark pilot who has only ever killed girls and has, uh, isn't allowed to speak. He like has to wear a muzzle the whole time. Yes. Yeah. Uh, and so she's like, well, I didn't die the first time, but now I'm certainly going to, but that's not what happens. Um, she turns out to be just as powerful as he is, if not more. And then that causes a whole bunch of problems, both for them personally, in their relationship, but not for the reasons that you're thinking. Um, and then also in like the, the universe in which they live politically. It's very complicated. It's super dark. There's also a poly romance in the book. And yeah, it is very much like a, a very dark male character who becomes, who like falls for a girl who matches his power eventually exceeds it um, again but not like in the way that you're thinking you just gotta read it you gotta read it loved it so much so that's iron widow by jiran J. Zhao. my library hold on that finally came in yes I'm so excited oh i can't wait to hear what you think <laughs> between you and sharifa being obsessed with it i just am I'm so ready i will let you know all right yeah, my pick for this is also in the sci-fi fantasy genre because I, I really think that that's where the best of these come because it needs to be like, I guess you could do it with political power, but it's way more interesting and a way more juicy dynamic if there's like power, power involved. And so supernatural power is a good stand in for that. Less gross also, I think, than mm -hmm. political power, to be quite frank. So <laughs> my pick for you is The Hundred Thousand Kingdoms by N.K. Jemisin. Does come with a bunch of content warnings, but like, you know, nothing that you haven't already seen on Vampire Diaries. Um, <laughs> uh, but yes, sexual assault, enslavement and coercion, like things get pretty dark. And Kate Jemison is a great writer. You mentioned you mostly read literary fiction. Um, if part of that is that you are picky about your writing, I do not think you will be able to. Well, I don't. I think she's an amazing writer. So let's just say that. You will not find fault with her. <laughs> no, no, I don't think you should anyway. 
So Yena is the main character of this. This is the first in a trilogy, by the way. You should read all of them. It's amazing. Um, But this book is really the heart of the dynamic that you're looking for. So Yena is from this, like, northern, they're considered barbarians tribe. And her mother dies in mysterious circumstances. And she has been, like, a princess of this tribe and never thought she was going to go to like the main city or have anything to do with the political situation there. But because of her mother's death and like capital R reasons, she is sent to the city and she finds out that she is in the running to be heir to the kingdom, which is she is super not interested in. Also, there are already two other potential heirs who hate her on site and are like the schemingest, most conniving jerks, royal jerks that you could ever imagine. And she's like, great, I'm going to die. I'm literally going to die. Like, I had no idea that this was a thing. I don't know any of these people. I don't know any of these political dynamics. Like, I have not been trained for this. Like, I'm a warrior person. Like, I stab people. I don't, like, stab them with my words. I don't know how to do that. And I don't know how to deal with people who do. Um, But she starts to figure it out. In the meantime, one of these other royal heirs has control, like magical control, over some supernatural beings who used to be gods. Things get really intense is all I'm going to say about that. But the dynamic you are looking for is 100% there. And it's amazing. It's sexy. It is dark, dark, dark. And like, you're going to, I feel like you're going to love it. So again, that's The Hundred Thousand Kingdoms by N.K. Jemison. All right. Our last question is from Brenna, who says, I'm looking for new reads that are set in magical schools or universities. I love the trope of going away to a boarding school where everything you've thought was true turns out to be wrong and a mysterious something lurks around every corner. However, I'm not into YA or middle grade. I liked Harry Potter and as a kid, the Crestomancy Chronicles, but what I'm really looking for is a comp for the magicians. I recently read The Ninth Gate by Lee Bardugo and immediately adored it, but found that I couldn't get into her YA Near misses include The Name of the Wind, Not Enough Women, The Queen of Blood, Too Much Teen Angst, A Discovery of Witches, Not For Me, and a bunch of other adult titles on your handy Books Featuring Magic Schools list. In general, I like literary or challenging books and immediately get annoyed with one-dimensional characters. Okay, I picked Catherine House by Elizabeth Thomas, which is like if Euphoria were set in a college, if you've been watching euphoria um on whatever hbo i think with zendaya it's uh bananas so this is a university that is in rural pennsylvania um and is very secretive and also like very shabby chic everything is kind of falling apart but in the like wealthy way if that if that makes sense and so um it's produced tons of really fancy fancy people supreme court justices presidents ceos artists the acceptance rate is super small. Um, but if you get in, your tuition and warm room and board are free, but you can never leave, <laughs> which of course is a giant red flag. But here apparently it doesn't mm-hmm. really matter. I don't know. Um, but you can't leave for three years. You have to stay there for every holiday, summers, and you can't bring anything with you. There's no TV. There's no pictures of your family. You can't even bring your clothes. So you're coming in with nothing and like letting them rebuild you <laughs> into something that's going to go out and, you know, like, be the Supreme Court justice someday. So the main character, Inez, is a freshman in this year's, you know, incoming class. And she has had a difficult past several years, a difficult young adulthood. She spent most of her time partying, taking a lot of drugs, 
dealing with friends who were like not actually her friends and she gets accepted into this university and decides it's going to like change her life but when she gets there it's very immediately apparent that not everything in this school is as it appears there's something going on behind the scenes some students start mysteriously disappearing there are rumors um and so she starts you know button her nose in trying to figure out what's going on all the while this like euphoria stuff is going on there's a lot of drugs there's a lot of like did i hallucinate that or was it real um the magic like is something magical happening or not is the is like kind of the whole conceit like the whole question so it's not a direct comp to the magicians because these aren't kids with magical powers who were just out in the world making magic happen what is happening is is the question like is it magic is it drugs is it something else that's what you're here to find out so that's Catherine house by elizabeth thomas Okay, so I went at this a little bit sideways because there's not, I mean, you know, there's a limited selection of these and it sounds like you've already ruled out a lot of them. Um, But I do think when you said that you liked challenging books and, you know, the sort of school setting, I was like, aha. So I am recommending Poppy War, The Poppy War by R.F. Kuang, uh, which comes, by the way, with content warnings for basically (laughs) everything. There is no horrible thing that does not happen in this trilogy at one point or another. So FYI, it's super dark, super challenging. I also love this series with every beat of my heart. Like it is the surprise grimdark I didn't know I wanted and loved. And it does take this book, the first in the series, largely takes place at this elite military academy. Uh, Rin is our main character. She's an orphan. She's from like, you know, a underprivileged background. She's from an out-of-the-way province. She's darker skinned. Like, she has nothing going for her. The people who are, like, quote-unquote, her guardians are awful. They just want to marry her off for money. Um, but she manages to take this test and, like, beat the hell out of it uh, by studying really super hard uh, to get into this military academy. And she's like, okay, I like I'm going to better myself. I'm going to find my people. I'm going to do the thing. That is not what happens. She gets there and people look down on her. Also, she has these weird powers she did not know she has. And her teacher is like, kind of batty, like maybe not all there, maybe, who knows, unclear. Uh, And there's just a lot going on. And then there's also the country is about to be at war. And of course, they are in a military academy. They're training to be like generals and officers and to go to war. And that is what ends up happening. And it is so good. The characters are amazing. I just, I mean, I think that Kwong has done something incredible here. And the school part is really important to the formation of Rin's character, which is why I picked it for this question, because even though it's not like it's not a direct comp for the magicians or, you know, like the Ninth House or something like that, or the Ninth Gate, excuse me, it is very much like you go to this place, you are immersed in its culture, and you have to find your way through it and also magical shenanigans. So like that combination is in here. So if that's enough for you, I think also I just think this series is amazing, like I keep saying, and everybody should read it as long as you can hang with the dark, dark darkness. So again, that's The Poppy War by R.F. Kuang. And that is our show. 
Huzzah! Another another Huzzah. day, another dollar. What is that from? <laughs> That's from a song. I'm, I'll Google it later. <laughs> Thank you so much to our audio editor, Jen Zink. Thank all of you for listening. You can find more recommendations at bookriot.com and find our other podcasts at bookriot.com slash listen. Please leave us a rating and a review on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. And thank you to our sponsors. You can find us on social media. I'm on Instagram at I'm Amanda Nelson. Where is Jen? I'm on Twitter and Tumblr as Jen IRL, J-E-N-N-I-R-L, or on Instagram as I am Jen IRL. And we will be back next week. <laughs> <laughs>